Well, amen. It was great to not only worship together, but for many of you to hang out with you uh, together last night. We had 350 plus of us crammed into the tent listening to the Ken Ken show. Uh, Kenny did music for us and Ken Kington did a stand-up comedy and it was just awesome. So thank you. I loved meeting you and many of your uh, friends and neighbors that came. What a great opportunity to connect last night. So thanks for joining us. As we continue in worship, you know, today that last song really speaks to what it's going to be like in heaven. A giant reunion with friends and family. And a giant reward banquet where we get rewarded for all the ways in which we pursued Jesus and invested in his kingdom. But you see, here's the problem. There's a, there's a donkey in all of us. Right? It's easy to see the donkey in your spouse or the donkey in your kids or even the donkey in your parents. But it's not so easy to see in yourself. And what we learned last week is that God knows we got an inner donkey, and he's trying to help guide the donkey with a carrot. There's good things. There's good things. Come on, keep pursuing. And then occasionally he pulls out the stick. Whoop! Hee-haw! Don't go that way. Hee-haw! There's consequences to going that way. And this rotating back and forth of carrot and the stick has been a technique used by the writer of Hebrews. And so we were in stick mode where we left off last week, and we are back to carrot mode today. Here's what we touched on last week in chapter 10. We learned if you lose confidence in the only sacrifice that can make you perfect before God, and you turn to something else, there's no other sacrifice that's going to make you perfect. And there's going to be consequences to that decision. Loss of future rewards, we'll talk more about that this week. The conviction of the Holy Spirit, reaping what you sow, or the discipline of your Heavenly Father when we get to Hebrews chapter 12. So with that stick in mind from last week, we now get back to the carrot, which he says, guys, but if you keep believing, and if you keep trusting, and you keep pursuing, God has exceeding rewards in store for you. See, when we go through difficulty, when we go through hardship, when we sacrifice, when we obey, when things get tough, we ask ourselves two questions. Number one, is it worth it? Is it worth pursuing Christ in a world that's increasingly persecutes me for it? Is it worth it for choosing joy and suffering when it feels like the opposite thing I want to do? Is it worth it to forgive? And number two, is it going to be meaningful? Nothing will wear down your soul like meaningless suffering. Can what I'm going through be meaningful and will trust in God be worth it? And Hebrews is going to say a resounding yes, and you won't believe how much. In fact, I think the book of Hebrews, this last chapter of 10, could be summarized with a verse from Paul in Corinthians, where Paul says, for our light affliction. Light affliction? It's a guy who got stoned multiple times, shipwrecked, left for dead multiple times. Light affliction? What are you talking about? Look what he's talking about. It's a light affliction because it's but for a moment compared to eternity he's thinking through this 
and I can know it's meaningful because God is working through the moment and the suffering and the light affliction to produce a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. See, when you and I go through difficulty, we weigh our suffering. Oh my goodness, this is so unfair. This is going on forever and ever. And we weigh it against what we hope, which is comfort. Oh, that's what I wish I had. But Paul's going to tell us that if we recall some things, and if we run toward the reward of things, we can actually compare our light affliction on earth compared to the weight of glory and the reward in heaven. So that we can have a motivation that helps us endure during difficult times. Doesn't that sound pretty good? Let's start where he begins. He begins by telling us we need to recall when you're going through difficulty, when you wonder if it's worth it, when you wonder if you should keep giving and keep serving and keep forgiving, recall your bigger and better reward. He says, guys, recall. There's the word, recall. Remember in your former days in which after you were illuminated, we learned in Hebrews 6, that means coming to know Jesus, after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle. Guys, it was tough, wasn't it? Many of you got kicked out of your family. Many of you got persecuted for your faith. You endured a great, great struggle. Worse than that, partly while you were made a spectacle, you are made fun of for your faith. You became a reproach to your community. You went through severe tribulations from your family members as well as the Romans. And partly while you were, while that was going on, you became companions of those who were so treated. You found other people who were treated that way. Other people are going through difficulty. And you remember how God used those suffering to build the church, to form this community, to develop you the kind of person who would show compassion to those who are mistreated? Because if you weren't mistreated, you didn't think about people who were mistreated. But you remember how God used in your earthly life some suffering to produce something good? Well, if he can do it on earth, think about how amazing he can do it compared to earth and heaven. Look at that word, recall. This is a thinking word. This is something we do as Christians. When you go through ordinary life, you need to constantly recall. Yes, God worked in the past. He did some things, did some stuff I didn't want to go through to get me here. And he'll do it again. And he'll do it again. And so much more eternity compared to this temporal existence. So that's the idea he's getting at. So what are some of these things that God's going to do? What are some of the things that I recall he did in the past that he'll also do in the future? He says, well, these are two rewards. I want you to recall how when you went through suffering, when you went through difficulty, you went through that chapter and season of your life where you're like, I wouldn't have wished that on my worst enemy. God gave you the reward of better character now and better character later. Character, that's great, yeah, the gift everybody wants. Well, let me try and develop it. He says, remember, not only did you draw near to those who were mistreated, but you actually had compassion on me when I was in chains. You became a much more compassionate person on earth. And when you move into heaven, God makes permanent the, what he's doing in you. So God is forming eternal qualities in you. He's conforming you to the image of his son now to prepare you for the eternal life of the future. God wants you to fall in love with being like his son Jesus. See, I'm in love with comfort. And comfort seems to weigh an awful lot compared to character, really. 
But God wants us to see the eternal weight and value of character. Now being a compassionate person, a wise person, a trustworthy person. It weighs so much more and has so much eternal value than the temporary things of this life that moth and rust will take away. Think of it this way. It's a true story. They were trying to figure out how to ship cod across the United States. And in doing so, the problem was they would freeze the cod, you know, freeze the thing, ship it over all over the United States to restaurants. Restaurant would open up the pack, fry it all up. It just tasted like... Like frozen fish. You know, it's, it's all right. It's fishy, right? Isn't that the worst thing you can say about a food? It's, it, it's fishy. Right? Like, what kind of a food? Like, I never say to my steak, it's steaky. But, you know, fish, you don't want something that's fishy. And so they said, we got to fix this. So they said, well, let's not freeze the fish. Let's ship them in giant water containers all the way across the United States. So they got this big water container, and they dropped in the fish, you know. Bloop, bloop. The problem is, as the, the 18-wheelers zooming across the United States, the fish were like, you know, Just kind of sitting there, not moving much. And by the time they arrived, they're, 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 because they hadn't been working those muscles, sometimes for weeks, they just felt kind of squishy. They just didn't have that texture of good fish. So somebody came up with an idea. We're going to drop one catfish into every one of those tanks. See, a catfish is a natural predator to the, to the cod. So sure enough, they dropped in the catfish... And all day long, all week long, as they're zooming across from east coast to west coast, here goes the cod. Na 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 na. Here comes a catfish. Na 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 na. Catfish. And by the time they arrived, they had the character and the fortitude that they were delivered, and they were the best. Chad, are you saying God's going to flay me? No, no, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying in the same way God sometimes drops a catfish into your life. He drops suffering into your life, reproach in your life, tribulation in your life, to form the character in you so when you get to the end of time, you are who God made you to be. So trust him that that catfish may have a purpose. But he says it's not just character now and character later. He says, I want you to recall while you're going through suffering that you will have a better reward in the future. He says this, that reward that's coming is going to be so much better. So much so that you can joyfully accept the plundering of your goods. Somebody comes into your house, what are you doing? Taking my TV. Oh, you want the radio too? You want the DVD player? Uh, You want the fire stick? Why would you do that? The only way you could do that is if you were knowing something. You joyfully accept the plundering of your goods because you know something. You recall something. There's a thinking process going on. That anything you lose for Christ's sake on earth, anything you invest of temporal things on earth, you get better, more enduring possessions for yourself in heaven. Hey, come on back. Take the, take the lazy boy. Come on back. Take the couch. If I'm being persecuted for Christ, woohoo! That's just more stuff I'm 10 times, 60 times, 100 times in the future. Now that's quite a mindset that he's teaching people going through severe suffering. Now Paul picks up on the same idea. It's almost identical to what it says here in Hebrews. How do you think through suffering? You recall and you realign yourself, you compare and consider. Paul says, for I consider, he's thinking about it, 
The suffering of this present time, and it's bad, but it's not worthy to be compared. He's comparing it to something. The glory which will be revealed in us. You know what? I'm thinking about, wow, God is going to use this. God's going to reward me for this. I'm constantly comparing and weighing. And I'm just going to weigh what really matters compared to what's temporal. And do you know what God's will is for your life? Because Romans tells us in chapter 8, He also predestined you to be conformed into the image of His Son. What if becoming the version of yourself that he made you to be in Christ is the sole purpose of your life? That you so want to be like Jesus that you will recall whatever it takes, God. Oh, but please make it nice. Please be gentle. Recall that, God, if that's what it takes to create in me, to make me who you've made me to be in Christ, I want it. I'm going to embrace it. And you see how this is an incredibly thoughtful process that when you're going through challenges, you can think through this in that way. Think of it this way. He's almost telling the audience, guys, if I gave you a, a DeLorean with a flux capacitor and we got you up to 88 miles an hour, right? <laughs> well, the fire appears. And you jump back in time five years ago, ten years ago. What would you tell yourself? I was talking to a dad this week who was going through an incredibly difficult time a few years ago. And I had this amazing, amazing conversation with his son uh, this weekend. Talking about a person who never talked about faith, finding God, pursuing God, asking questions about these really deep issues and having this amazing conversation. And as we're talking about it, he's like, I'm thinking about being baptized. What does that mean? And who is Jesus? And I'm like... This is amazing. I call up his dad. I'm like, oh my, what is going on? He goes, I know, I know. It is not where we were a few years ago. I'm like, oh, I remember. I said, if you could get in that flux capacitor, 88 miles an hour, and tell yourself three years ago something based on what you know God's doing now, what would you say? He said, I would tell myself to stay the course. God's working in the midst, the plan, trusting God's way is going to work even though it doesn't look like anything's working right now. Stay the course. About a month ago, I called a woman up in our church. I'd heard she'd gotten some bad news. I said, what's going on? She said, I found out I have, I have cancer. Said, oh, no. Small kids, family. So how are you processing this? She says, I'm pissed. Christians aren't supposed to say that. Like, if you got cancer, you can say whatever you want. But then she said the next line. She said, I am pissed, and I am trusting God in the midst of it, that he's got a plan, and he's got to do something. I'm like, man, that's real. I think that's what the Hebrews had. Man, we're getting persecuted. We're getting punished. We're getting pummeled. But we're going to keep trusting that God has a plan that he's working in the midst of it. That's what God wants for you. Keep trusting. Keep recalling. Keep pursuing. That's why he develops this whole idea in the next part of the verse. He says, okay, you've recalled what God did in the past. Now I want you to run. 
Run toward rewards. Pursue rewards. Make that the goal of everyday living. Just natural, normal decision-making. Run toward rewards. Enduring possessions in heaven. That's how he says it. I want you to run toward eternal treasures and a sanctified, purified soul. I want that to be your bullseyes. It starts with eternal treasures. Therefore, do not give up because it's hard. Don't cast away your confidence. There's a great reward for enduring. There's a carrot. Hee-haw, hee-haw. Yes, it's a great reward. It's a big carrot. It's a monstrous carrot. For you have need of endurance. I know it's tough. I know it's difficult. I know it feels meaningless. I know it feels like it doesn't matter. But I'm telling you, it's going to be worth it. It's a great reward. After you have done the will of God, letting him form the character in you, keep trusting his message of perfection, you're going to receive something. Oh, and it is a promise. It's the promise that though for a little while... He's coming, and it's not going to tarry. To which you're like, really? A little while? It's been 2,000 years since you wrote that. It doesn't feel like a little while. He says, when it comes, it'll be according to God's timing. And when it comes, it will come quickly. And what you will receive, the rewards you will receive, will make everything you endured and everything you sacrificed and everything you gave up pale in comparison. You'll forget about your biggest sacrifice because you'll be so overwhelmed with the reward when he comes. And though right now it feels like he's tarrying, he's quoting Habakkuk. We're going to talk about that in a second. When you struggle with his timing, when you struggle with how the plan's coming together, keep trusting, keep recalling, keep running towards your reward. Which is hard to do, right? It's like I'm running toward this invisible thing that you say is true, and I hope it's true, but maybe it's true, but it just seems silly. Reminds me, about 10 years ago, I had uh, one of Javen's buddies, Tyler, came into our house. He said, Chad, I got something you got to invest in. Uh Uh-huh. He was like ninth grade. He said, you got to take like $1,000. And for like $1,000, well, for $100, yeah, you could invest in, I'm thinking, here comes some multi-marketing scheme. For $100, you could buy like 10,000 Bitcoin. I'm like, what's a Bitcoin? It's just, in, it, let me show you, it's this invisible coin. And it's going to be worth lots and lots of money. And if you just take a little bit of your temporal money, you could buy this invisible coin that's out there. And it's going to be worth something. Right. Bitcoin hit $55,000 a piece last week. It would have gone up 100 billion percent over the last 10 years. Maybe Bitcoin. Who knows? It'll crash tomorrow. How about, how about Amazon stock? You go back when this, this bookstore goes online. A bookstore? Do we need another bookstore? And you jump back in that flux capacitor. And you say, buy. But it went down last month. Hold. Because in 2021, it's going to be worth over 3000 right? It wouldn't just be the obedient thing to do. 
giving financially of your money, giving of your time and resources to, to priorities like the poor or to investing in people's soul or helping people come to know Jesus. It's the obedient thing to do. And it's the right thing to do. And it's the worshipful thing to do. But I'm telling you, it's the smart thing to do. He's saying this is the greatest deal in history. A hundred billion percent return, whatever you give and invest now, is nothing compared to what you get in the future. It's the smart thing to do, he's saying. So live a great life. But take these temporal resources and invest them in people and the gospel and the proclamation of the gospel so that people who last forever will be in eternity with him and you will get there that day and you will be rewarded and you won't even think about those sacrifices. If anything, you'll say, God, you had this pile of gifts for me. Why didn't I invest more of my time forgiving and loving and investing in things that mattered. Run towards your reward. Pursue the greater investment with your time, with your treasures, and with your talents. And in doing so, you're going to get a sanctified soul. God's going to form in you the image of his son. Now, this passage gets a little complicated, and I think by the time we're done, you'll say, oh, I get it, but we're going to kind of take the long way around. Remember I told you that the book of Hebrews just quoted the book of Habakkuk. It also looks like he quoted the book of Zephaniah, which are 42 verses away from each other. He somehow glued them together. So I'm going to read Hebrews, where he quotes Habakkuk, trying to explain what I think he's saying, and then show why he dropped in Zephaniah. And how it applies to us. So here we go. A sanctified soul. He says, now the just shall live by faith. He's quoting Habakkuk here. Which is a prophet from the Old Testament. But if anyone draws back. And some of you are drawing back in Hebrews. You're drawing back from trusting God. God says, my soul has no pleasure in him. Which is kind of weird that God has a soul. But it's a personification. It means your life source. So the life source of God doesn't have pleasure in you when you draw back from him. All right, so let's go to Habakkuk and see what it says. So in Habakkuk, the people are waiting. Babylonian exile, all kinds of bad things happening. Like, is God's promise ever going to get true? Are we ever going to get back home? Are we ever going to get back to the promised land? Are we ever going to get back to to having our temple back in place? God says, wait for it, wait for it. Oh my goodness, it's not going to happen. So in Habakkuk, he says, though it tarries, though you've been waiting for it, though it hasn't come yet, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, because it will surely come. There will surely be a reward. There will surely be God's promises manifest, just like he said. It will not tarry. He just said it, though it tarries. When it comes, it's going to come quickly and right on God's schedule, he's saying. Then he, like, and now for something completely different. Behold the proud. Why does he mention the proud? Well, I'm a proud person, so I can kind of speak to this. Proud people don't trust God's timing. That's why he's connected, waiting for it, proud people. Why? Because we know better how things should go, how things should time out. God, you're not on schedule. I 
mere mortal Chad, know how you, the God of the universe, should be running things. And when you get proud and don't trust God for his timing and his reward and his future, here's what happens. Look what he says. Your soul, some of the human now, is not upright in you. Your soul gets crooked when you're proud. It gets bent out of shape. You're not trusting God's reward. You're not trusting God's timing. You think you know better than him. But the just, who don't have a crooked soul, live by faith in God's timing, in God's promises, in God's future reward. So the reason God's life source doesn't take pleasure in your life source is because you have a crooked soul. So he is going to spend lots and lots of time to bring pleasure to straighten what's broken in your soul. With that in mind, let's jump to his quote from Zephaniah. Now, twice in Hebrews, he's mentioned drawing back. And several people have seen the connection here between this quote or allusion to Zephaniah. Because it's the idea of drawing back or drawing back and this idea of perdition or consequences. Now, perdition is very, very challenging. Because the, the Greek word here can mean two things. This is really helpful. It can mean eternal damnation or temporary waste. Now, that's a span of a dictionary, right? how it's used. So we're going to get to that next. But he alludes to this idea of drawing back from Zephaniah. So let's go to Zephaniah, the prophet from the Old Testament. God says, I'm going to cut off, I'm going to give consequences, I'm going to let the Babylonians to come in and foreign nations to come in because you have traded trusting me with another god, Baal. I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place. I've got to kind of gut out the problem. I'm going to gut out the names of the idolatrous priests. So this is actually where we get the word apostasy or apostate priests. People who say they're following Yahweh, but they're really following something else. Which is very similar to what he's addressing here in Hebrews. People say you're trusting God, but you're really turning away to something else. Now he contrasts that from the pagan priests. These are people who just worship other gods. So this idolatrous priests... I serve Yahweh, but I'm really serving something else, versus the pagan priests. Okay? We're getting there. We're getting close. So now he gives a little detail. What does it mean to be an apostate priest or an idolatrous priest? He says, well, they worship the host of heaven. They do worship God. But also, they've sworn by Milcom, which is an Ammonite name of one of the old Baal family gods. So they've tried to have God and have another God kind of glued onto it. They've said God plus something else will work. That's what an apostate is, something who has turned back. And he uses the idea of turning back here. He says, for those who've done this have turned back, and that's the connection back to Hebrews, from following the Lord. No, no, no. It says that they they worship the Lord. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But Jesus plus anything, you've added an idol, Jesus plus my good works, Jesus plus you know, having a comfortable life, Jesus plus whatever you've added is a way of saying, I can't trust God and his timing and his plan unless he adds this other thing I really want. So, now we come to the verse in Hebrews. Now, remember I told you that word had kind of a double meaning? So just give an example of how complicated it is. Um, it says, now, the just shall live by faith. We're back in Hebrews. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. I don't want their soul to be crooked. But we, he mentions himself in this group, 
are not of those, and he also talks about another group, those, who draw back to perdition. So he might be saying, hey, we're not like those who are not real Christians, and they're going to be eternally out of God's presence because they didn't trust God to forgive them. However, he also says we as if he's including himself in the group, in which case we are not those who draw back that can't be talking about eternal separation from God because we just learned seven verses ago that God perfects us. So then the interpretation of perdition might be we've wasted something. The contrast to whatever it is is that instead of doing this perdition thing, we should be doing the believing unto saving your soul thing. Now it gets a little more complicated because most of us when we hear the phrase saving your soul, we heard a lot of televangelists growing up, I want to save your soul, brother. I want to save your soul. And so save your soul is synonymous in our mind with getting to heaven. I don't think the writer has that in mind. But Christians disagree on this. So there's the complexity of it. Now I'm going to try and tell you my interpretation. This word can also mean temporary waste. And let me give you an example of that from the Gospels. Jesus is in Bethany. And a woman comes up with a perfume worth a whole year's wages. And she breaks it. She pours it over Jesus' feet to show his worthship, how worthy he is. And when she's pouring her temporary, very valuable temporary goods onto God to show how much she wants to love on and thank God for what he's done, his disciples come to him and say, Why this perdition? Same word. Why this waste? For this fragment oil could have been sold and given to the poor. So this is why Christians have disagreed on this passage. So I take that position, as we've talked in this series, that when you become to know Christ, over and over the writer Hebrew says you're perfected, you're perfected, you're secure. And the reason I've kind of emphasized that is because when you come to these passages, most commentators say, those are for really fake Christians, don't worry about it. I don't think these are warnings for fake Christians, don't worry about it. I think these are warnings for you and I as Christians. When you turn back, you are wasting something. You're not investing in something. You're not doing what God's called you to do. Remember we talked about seven weeks ago. The goal is not to get you to heaven. The goal is to get heaven into you. Now let me play all that out. That was a lot of pieces parts to get to the interpretation. Here's what I believe a soul is. This is based on the book of Thessalonians. God made us with a spirit that's dead. A soul. And your soul is composed of what you think, what you feel, and what you want. Your thoughts, your desires, and your emotions. And then you also have a body. All of them are dying. We have a dead spirit, we have a dead soul, we have dead thoughts, and we have a dead body. So when you become a Christian, you're asking Jesus to come, die for your sins, forgive you of all the wrongdoing, and to come and live in you. And then his Holy Spirit comes in and lives in you. You now have a brand new engine. That's the engine to live the Christian life. His spirit in you. So the fruit of his spirit can flow through you. And part of sanctification or growing as a Christian is allowing that spirit that's in you to begin to transform your soul. I want to start feeling the things that God feels. I want to start thinking the thoughts that God thinks. I want to take thoughts captive. Renew my mind. And I want to start desiring the things that God desires. So for me, the phrase, saving your soul, the word saved means delivered. I want to be delivered from desires, thoughts, and emotions that don't come from God. 
And I won't allow him to transform, Romans 12, 1 and 2, my soul so I can grow. Now, if all that's true, then here's what this passage says. We, Christians, we're not those who draw back and waste the chance that God gave us the Holy Spirit in order to grow us and conform us. We're not going to waste that. But we're going to keep believing. We're going to keep trusting. We're going to keep allowing him to save or transform us as Christians to become the version of self he wants for us. But you know, whichever interpretation you take, the application's the same. Grow! Pursue the rewards! Let him sanctify your soul and and develop the character of Christ in you. I think that would be his application for you and I. What do you walk away from this chapter with? One word? Maybe it's two. It's kind of onomatopoeia. But here's what I want you to think about all week. Cha-ching! Cha-ching! To joyfully pursue rewards through better thinking. Cha-ching! Everybody said? Joyfully accept suffering, plundering, not getting all your reward here on earth, knowing something, better thinking, you have a better, more enduring possession for yourself in heaven. You ever had a donkey spouse moment conversation? You know. And you're like, I am not going to apologize this time. I am not going to adapt this time. At that moment, when you have all those thoughts in your mind, I want you to say to yourself, cha-ching. If I forgive, if I go first, if I endure, if I keep loving, cha-ching. God rewards me for this kind of thing. He's taking notes. It doesn't matter. He is noticing this. You caring for long-term caregiving, someone with special needs, or maybe your parents, and everybody told you how wonderful it is to serve and care for people, and that lasted about a week, that wonderful feeling inside. Now it's just hard and difficult. And the people you're helping, they're in pain or they're, you know, lonely. And so they are critical of you and they complain about the help you're giving. And you're like, this is is not worth it. In that moment, when you're feeling all that, what you think to yourself? Cha-ching! God's taking notes. I'm going to be rewarded. And as crappy as this feels... God is going to reward me in a way that's going to make it all so worth it. 100 billion percent return. Reward. You ever wondered if giving financially to God's priorities? Like I can do so much other stuff with this money. But if giving so that people could come to know Jesus. Could be growing in Jesus. Understanding his word and falling in love with his bride. If every time you do that, you thought, cha-ching, I'm investing in something eternal, wouldn't that change everything? See, whether you're suffering, whether you're loving, whether you're forgiving, whether you're challenged with the hopelessness of your current chapter or your current parenting or your current, you know, caring for your, for your, for your parents, the answer is the same. Cha-ching. Because now every time you go through difficulty, you're like, oh, this is great. This is great. This is another chance to quadruple my investment by having a little bit of pain now. Cha-ching! Joyfully accept suffering through better thinking. 
And that is what's going to take us to chapter 11. Chapter 11, our writer is going to presume that you know the Bible really well. He's going to summarize from Abel to Enoch to Abraham to Sarah to Jephthah to Samson to the prophets all in the next 20 verses or so. And you're going to say, I don't remember these people. Jephthah? So as you walk out today, we have a tool for you. If you've never read the fast track, you can get a summary of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and you can read the entire thing in about 90 minutes. And you will know the Bible more than 99% of most people in the United States if you read this together. More importantly, you're going to know the main storyline of the Bible, the main characters are going to be referencing in the next four weeks, and you're going to have an understanding of what this author is alluding to, because he's going to say, you know what they all did? They ran for the reward. Sometimes they got a little bit here in heaven, and the other half of them uh, got fallen in half. They got all their reward in the future. But you know what they all did? By faith, they ran for the reward. So I encourage you to pick one of these up if you've never read it. So you can get yourself acquainted to the entire storyline of the Bible over the next couple weeks. If you want to read the Bible, I would summarize a few pages of the Bible. Read Genesis 1 through chapter 9 in preparation for next week from creation all the way through Enoch. Um, time frame is leaning into Abraham. You'll be prepared for the next two weeks together. But let's be a group of people who love others, serve others, and keep trusting God when you want to draw back. Don't add anything to the gospel, but trust that he will reward. Let's pray. Maybe you want to just respond to God in your own heart. Say, God, I'm inviting your spirit to come and live in me. I don't know if I'm a real Christian or not, but I have compromised. I want you now. I want your forgiveness now. Thank you for dying for me. And Father, I want to grow. I want my soul to be transformed. I invite your Holy Spirit and your word to transform my thoughts, transform my, my desires, and transform my feelings to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you all next week. You can grab these on your way out. They'll be in some booths. Thanks.